Well, uh, this past week, uh, Molly and I uh, traveled to Chicago. Uh, we had uh, a rendezvous with Molly's brother Paul and his wife Lois uh, because we were planning to go to a Chicago Cubs game. Now, I love Wrigley Field. There's, there's no place on earth like Wrigley Field. Uh, but this wasn't just any Cubs game uh, because Paul happens to know the owner of the Chicago Cubs, uh, the Ricketts family. Uh, so we didn't get just, you know, regular seats. Uh, we got these seats, uh, second row, uh, where we could reach out and touch the uh, batter in the on-deck circle if we wanted to and then get thrown out of the game. Uh, but we could have done that uh, if we wanted to. Uh, so, you know, there we are at this incredible uh, stadium watching this uh, amazing ball game on a beautiful day. Uh, and not only did we have access to this uh, second row seating, uh, but we had access to something called the 1914 Club. Uh, the 1914 club, uh, 1914 is the year that Wrigley Field was built. So the 1914 club is named after that year. And it's a, a, a VIP restaurant, like under the stands, where it's all you can eat, uh, all the dessert you could want, carving stations. I mean, like the most expensive wedding you've ever been to. That's what this was like underneath there. All you can eat and it's all game long. Uh, so it was really an amazing experience. And it's all because Paul knew the Ricketts family. Now, I could certainly have bought tickets on StubHub for $20, right, and sat in the nosebleed section. But because we knew the Ricketts family, we had access to this amazing experience. And it just goes to show that it's all about who you know, right? It's all about who you know. And as we come to the story of blind Bartimaeus this morning, again, we're going to learn that it's all about who you know. You know, Bartimaeus had spent who knows how long standing on that side of the road and he was uh, begging for alms until the day that he met Jesus on the side of the road. And of course, you know, he'd been standing there who knows how long, but uh, anybody on the side of that road could have given him a few coins or maybe a piece of bread or something to eat so that he could make it through a day. Uh, but when he met Jesus, everything changed, right? Because Jesus could give him something that lasts not just for an hour, uh, not just for, for a day, uh, but something that would last his whole life. And so what Bartimaeus found out uh, on that day as he exercised uh, his faith in Jesus, that it is all about who you know. Bartimaeus uh, learned that lesson. So uh, Bartimaeus is, is, is uh, the poster child, really, for what is possible uh, when we exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Now, we've been looking over the past several weeks uh, about what happens to disciples of Jesus Christ and, and what happens to Jesus and his 12 as they're on the way, right? We, we spent the first nine chapters in, uh, in the book of Mark in Galilee. All of that happens in Galilee. But then in chapter 10, uh, he starts to work his way down toward uh, Jerusalem on the way in chapter 10. And so in chapter 10, we're learning several lessons about what it means to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what we've learned just in the last couple chapters is that a true disciple, uh, he who wants to, be, uh, wants to save his life, must lose it for the sake of the gospel. We, we saw that lesson. And we also saw that whoever wants to be first must be last and be a servant of all. But not just that he must be a servant of all. Uh, Jesus said you actually have to be a slave of all. And we said the difference between a doulos, a slave, and a diakonos, a deacon, somebody who serves, uh, is that the, the, the slave uh, gives his life, forfeits everything in his life. Uh, that's what a disciple does. And uh, as Jesus told us in Mark 10.45, a disciple doesn't live to be served, but to serve. 
And so these are the lessons uh, that have been taught by Jesus so far on the way to Jerusalem. And now what we're learning from Bartimaeus is the ultimate lesson that a person who wants to be a true disciple of Christ is one who exercises faith in Jesus and then follows Jesus because that's what makes the rest of these possible, to have faith and then to follow. And so that's what we've seen uh, so far. Uh, and, and what we see today is that Bartimaeus responds in faith and then he follows in faith. So let's look at verses 46 and 47 to get us started and talk about Bartimaeus's condition. Then they came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples, or as Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. So this is interesting. If you were to cross-check this story uh, against the other stories in the Bible, uh, Luke has a version of this story, Matthew has it, and also Mark has it. Uh, so in Luke, it says, as they were leaving Jericho. Uh, Mark's, or Matthew says, as they were arriving in Jericho. And Mark says, as they came to Jericho. So which one is it, right? Which one of those is it? Uh, it's very confusing. So. Uh, the answer, I think, is actually very simple when we understand that uh, there were actually two separate Jerichos. There were two Jerichos, uh, and they were both located in the same region. Uh, so uh, there was the first Jericho. Uh, as, well, first, let me tell you how you get to Jericho. You get to Jericho when you're going to Jerusalem, if you're from Galilee. You get there this way. You, you're in Galilee, and then when you come to Samaria, you do, actually don't go through Samaria because the Jews don't like Samaritans, right? So they cross over the river, uh, Jordan, and then they walk through Perea, and then they cross back over the river Jordan to get to Jericho, which is about five miles inland. So this is the route that they would take, missing Samar Samaria and getting themselves to Jericho in that way. And as they're coming to Jericho, uh, they would see this is Old Testament Jericho. Old Testament Jericho is the story we know about Joshua, who they walked around the city and they shouted uh, with a great shout and blew their trumpets and the walls came tumbling down, right? That's Old Testament Jericho. Old Testament Jericho was old by the time Joshua got there. Here's a more wide-angle view of the city. If you're going to uh, Jerusalem, to Israel with us, uh, you will see this uh, as you go. We'll see where the walls came tumbling down. So that's, you know, 1400 BC, that's when that happens. But Herod also built a New Testament city uh, called Jericho that, that is referred to uh, in the New Testament. And, and that one is about uh, a mile away from this Jericho. And, and these are the remains of what that place looks like now. The palace was there on that, uh, what looks like a concrete pad. Uh, it's all been raised, of course, now, but the foundations of it still remain there. So there are these two separate Jerichos. And, and so that's how the story begins to make sense. So if I show this to you in an aerial view, uh, what we have here is uh, that's the east, the Dead Sea. This is Old Testament Jericho here, and this is New Testament Jericho here. So what probably happened is that Jesus uh, was leaving one Jericho and coming to the other, and that's why one of the gospel writers says as he was leaving, and the other one says as he was coming. So he probably healed this man somewhere along the way. And I just think it's awesome that when our critics say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. One says he was leaving, one says he was coming. There are answers to these questions if we are able to study the Bible and, and know what the Bible says. So that's what's going on here with the, with the, sea, with the uh, leaving and with the uh, arriving. 
So let's talk for a second about uh, Bartimaeus' condition. Uh, Bartimaeus is a blind man, uh, and that makes him extremely desperate, right? He cannot work. Uh, he may have been homeless. He may not have had a family. We don't know those things, but we do know uh, that he was blind. And so what does Bartimaeus do? Well, he puts himself uh, on the road that would be heavily trafficked as people were going up to the feast because they would travel from wherever they were, the Jews, to, to get to the feast in Jerusalem for Passover. They would do that. Uh, every year. And so uh, Bartimaeus was no dummy, even though he was blind, he knew where the people were going to be. So he stations himself on this road where uh, he knows people are going to be going past and he's going to beg alms uh, from these people. And so uh, though Bartimaeus couldn't see, he certainly could hear, right? And so we know uh, that Bartimaeus uh, was, was sitting there, and, and apparently there, there's some commotion on the side of the road. Uh, maybe somebody used the name Jesus, and, and, and Bartimaeus' ears perk up because he knows uh, of Jesus, right? He's, Jesus has a reputation. Uh, he's heard what Jesus can do. And so now Bartimaeus, hearing the name, starts shouting out, uh, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, we don't know how long Bartimaeus had been in that condition. This could have been a lifelong condition. This could have been a new condition. Uh, Mark doesn't tell us for whatever reason. Uh, but we know that Bartimaeus is in this condition, and he's terribly desperate. And so he, he yells out, uh, Son of David, Son of David, which is an interesting title, because this is the only time in the book of Mark that this title is used, although Matthew uses it nine times. And then Mark goes on to, to describe this man, Bartimaeus, as the son of Timaeus. So Bar means son, and Timaeus is, is the name of whose son he is. So Bar Timaeus means son of Timaeus. And so I just think it's interesting that, that you have this parallel in Mark as he, he draws attention to this man's name, Bar Timaeus, uh, son of Bartim Bartimaeus, uh, calling out to the greater son, the greatest son, right? The son of David, who is uh, the one who is prophesied to come. Now, we know from the Old Testament, and Jews certainly would have been aware uh, of, of what it means to be son of David. The son of David is the one uh, through whom uh, the, the Messianic kingdom would come. We learn in 2 uh, Samuel chapter 7 uh, that God promises uh, that, uh, that, that there will always be a son of David on the throne of Israel. And so here is Jesus, uh, Bartimaeus, calling him son of David. He's calling him the long-awaited Messiah. And I just think that that's very interesting because uh, when, you, when you look at the other people uh, who Jesus encounters uh, in the Gospels, uh, the people who, who are meeting him for the first time, for example, like the bleeding woman, like the Syrophoenician woman, like the man who brought his demon-possessed son, uh, they all seem to know who Jesus is and what he's capable of. Even the demons come and they bow down at his feet. They know who Jesus is. And then, on the other hand, you have these disciples who spend three years with Jesus, and they're very slow to catch on to who he really is and, and what his mission is. And even the scribes and Pharisees, the ones who should have been well aware of who Jesus was because they knew what the Old Testament scriptures said. They knew that Jesus did the things predicted of this Messiah, and yet they don't know who he is, or at least they refuse to acknowledge who he is. So it's shocking to, con to contrast these, these people who first meet Jesus with those who, who already knew him. And, and Bartimaeus here uh, is one of those examples. Uh, so he's, he's got this idea in his head uh, that, that, that the son of David can, can give mercy to him. Well, what does mercy mean? 
Mercy means the ability to relieve someone's hardship uh, and the desire to do it. Uh, so, son of David, have mercy on me. I'm blind. Can you, can you have mercy on me? Can you fix that? So Bartimaeus comes with outspoken faith. He's, he's excited to finally meet somebody who can help him, and yet there are obstacles in the way uh, between him and Jesus. So let's look at those obstacles uh, in verses... Uh, I meant to show you those. We'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, in verses 40... 8 to 52, 48 to 52, many rebuked uh, Bartimaeus and told him to be quiet, but he shouted out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so they called the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you and throwing aside his cloak. He jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So isn't it interesting uh, to, to look at this crowd, uh, how they treat Bartimaeus, right? The, he, he's, he's obviously a nuisance to them. Uh, his shouting has become uh, something that they don't want to listen to anymore. So all they can do is rebuke him uh, and essentially tell him uh, to shut up. Uh, that's what they want from him. They have no empathy for him whatsoever, and I think we can kind of relate to this because, you know, if you, if you go home like I do, making a left out of here onto the Buckingham Road, there's always uh, somebody peddling for money or cash there. Uh, and, you know, we, we tend not even to see them anymore because we're so used to them being there. Uh, and it's, it's, it's very interesting to me that, that for many people, uh, when we see these people on the side of the road and back in this day too, um, they don't see them. Uh, they don't see the people begging, and yet Jesus sees them all, right? Jesus sees everybody, and, and the people who have no worth, no value uh, to the rest of the people, uh, to Jesus, they have infinite worth. So when we see the bleeding woman, the Syrophoenician woman, the man with the, with the demon-possessed son, uh, Jesus never tells them to go away. He never tells them, rebukes them. He says, uh, come, come, uh, let me heal you. And that's what we see here in this uh, particular story. As they rebuke uh, this man, he cries out all the more, uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, and Jesus calls him. And now interesting how the crowd changes its tune, right? Now the crowd says, cheer up, cheer up, he's calling you. Uh, the word for cheer up is the Greek word tharseo, and what it means is, is to, uh, to, to, uh, to be encouraged in the face of hardship and difficulty. So now they're telling this man, you know, be encouraged, cheer up, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He's calling you. Let's go. Let's go and see Jesus. So how their attitude has changed. And so uh, they get, he gets this encouragement now to come to Jesus. And we see uh, that, that this man did not let anything get in the way. And I love Bartimaeus' reaction because the first thing he does is he tosses aside his cloak, right? Now, this is a, a blind man who may have been homeless, may not have had a family, may not have had anything. His cloak may have been his only possession. And I think the, the fact that he tosses away his cloak shows an extraordinary amount of faith that this man would leave the only thing he has uh, and go to Jesus, believing that Jesus uh, had the power to heal him and so that he wouldn't need his cloak anymore. I just think that's fascinating. And the conversation between Bartimaeus and Jesus is also fascinating. Like Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Well, isn't it obvious what he wants him to do for him? 
But Jesus, of course, isn't asking for information, right? That's not why Jesus asked the question. This is an opportunity for Bartimaeus to express his faith, and Jesus is giving him the chance to express his faith. Now, last week, uh, when we saw James and John, uh, they come to Jesus and they say, Master, we'd like you to do whatever it is we ask of you. And Jesus asks the same question of them. What is it that you want me to do for you? And what did James and John ask for? Well, they asked for the greatest places in the kingdom, right? All the glory that they could possibly get for themselves. And Jesus says, well, you can't have that. That's not mine to give you. Uh, but then on the other hand, when Bartimaeus comes, he's not looking for any personal grandeur or any status or anything like that. He just wants what everybody else has. He wants the ability to see. Uh, and, and he's not asking you know, to be made great or anything. He just wants uh, this basic gift of sight back. And, and, and Bartimaeus calls him rabbi, but the word is actually rabboni uh, in, in the original. And that word doesn't mean teacher like rabbi means. Uh, Rabboni means my Lord and my master, uh, which is a better title than the disciples have ever given him to this point, uh, other than Peter's great confession. They, they don't seem to get it, but this, this blind man on the side of the road who has not met Jesus yet, he gets it. And so he trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Mark doesn't even say, like, how he healed, right? In past healings, we've seen Jesus, like, make mud and rub it on his eyes and then, you know, wash it off or other miracles, go wash in the pool of Siloam and you will be healed. Here, the, 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 the miracle is not about how Jesus did it, but it's about the role of faith, the role of Bartimaeus' faith in this miracle happening. So how does this miracle happen? Not necessarily by rubbing mud, but, but, but Bartimaeus's uh, faith uh, gave access to the power. Uh, and so that is what the focus is. The focus is on Bartimaeus's faith. And so we see then in verse 52 uh, that uh, Bartimaeus gets up and he follows. He follows Jesus. And that is, that is the right response, right? Uh, Bartimaeus gets it right. Uh, he's been physically healed. Not only has he been physically healed, he's also been spiritually healed. And we know that because he gets up and he follows Jesus rather than going his own way. And this is what Jesus does, isn't it? Uh, Jesus takes uh, broken people, people who are broken physically, broken spiritually, uh, and he, he fixes us. He, he fixes us physically sometimes. He fixes us spiritually when we come to him in faith. Uh, he saves us. And then uh, believers and true disciples, uh, they respond rightly by getting up and they follow what it is that Jesus leads us to do. Now, last week, when we were talking about how Jesus comes down to Jerusalem, remember, he was walking out ahead of the group. And the crowd was amazed, and the crowd was fearful, and Jesus had to come back to them or wait for them to catch up in order to teach them what he had to teach them. But there's no fear in Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus gets up and he follows him. Now, you know, we might say, well, Bartimaeus didn't know enough to be fearful. He didn't, he didn't have those three predictions that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem and be killed. Uh, but that didn't matter to Bartimaeus, because what Bartimaeus found was the one who loved him more than anyone ever loved him before, and, and who, who could do for him what nobody else could ever do for him. And so what's the difference what happens in Jerusalem or wherever else he goes? He's found the one who makes him whole, and he's not going to be deterred. He's not going anywhere else. He's sticking by Jesus' side, and he's not going anywhere. And that's what a true disciple does. When you and I go through certain hardships, 
uh, you know, sometimes it's discouraging. And yet what God calls us to do is just to keep on keeping on. Keep following Jesus. Keep following him. Keep trusting in him. He has the words of life. And the longer we stay uh, with him, uh, the better off we'll be. And so Jesus uh, has healed Bartimaeus, and and Bartimaeus uh, has understood that that Jesus values him so much, and he wants to be uh, with this one who loves him that much. And that ought to be a powerful lesson for us as well. So the role of Bartimaeus is faith. Let's just talk for a minute about what faith can do. What faith can do. Now, we know the definition of faith because we see it uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, It's Hebrews 11.1. Now, this is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of the things not seen. This is faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. All right, that's great, but but what exactly does that mean? How does that translate into our lives? Well, we learn about this as the author of Hebrews goes on uh, in this particular chapter. Uh, he's, he talks about now examples. When he, when, as he goes through, he talks first about Abel, right, who first by faith bought, brought a better sacrifice than Cain and was blessed. About Abraham, who by faith left the land of, of uh, Ur and came to the land of Canaan, who by faith uh, sacrificed or prepared to sacrifice Isaac, the child of the promise. This is what faith, how faith demonstrates itself. He goes on to talk about Moses, who uh, was away from Egypt, but then heard God's voice and by faith uh, went back to uh, Egypt and freed the enslaved Israelites uh, because God told him to. And then beyond that, even Joshua, who uh, by faith walked around the walls of Jericho seven times and blew the trumpets and by faith, the walls came tumbling down. And then proceeding on uh, in Hebrews, uh, what more shall I say for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, of Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection, and others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. All this happened by faith. By faith, these things happened. So what we see is that faith plays a critical role role in God's power uh, to do miracles and his willingness to do miracles. And so I I kind of liken it to uh, trying to quench your thirst Uh, with a glass of water and a straw, right? Uh, The straw is faith and the straw is prayer. That's not what quenches the thirst. The water quenches the thirst, right? But to get to the water, we need prayer and we need faith. And so that is what is being conveyed here. The role of faith is not that the faith is the miracle worker. God is the miracle worker, but God works through faith. And we've seen this uh, as we've talked about uh, Jesus' journeys through uh, Galilee. Remember when he was in his hometown uh, in Nazareth, uh, he could or would do no miracles there because of their lack of faith. But then when others come to him in faith, what happens? The, the, again, the Syrophoenician woman, the bleeding woman, the man with the, with the demon-possessed boy, uh, Jairus, they, they come to him in faith and, and Jesus heals them uh, through their faith. And so that is what we see. No faith, no miracles, faith, miracles. That is how the Lord works. 
And so uh, Hebrews 11:6, without faith, it is impossible to please God for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So we're told that, that faith is, is belief in God and that a belief it should translate into a belief that God rewards those who believe in him, who trust that he will uh, do what God can do. Now, that's not to say that God is going to heal every illness that we pray for uh, or every outcome that we'd like. God is sovereign, and he's got his own purposes for why uh, we may be suffering or for whatever it is that we might be going through. But it is to say that the role of faith in God's miracle working power, I think, is significant. And we see that here. In fact, we see it throughout the Bible. Um, Matthew 17, for example, truly, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, get up from here and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if you have faith strong enough that 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 mountain would get up from where it is and throw itself into the sea? Well, I don't believe that I can do it, and I don't believe that my faith can do that, but I believe that God can do it. If God wants to do it, he can certainly do that. Uh, And so our faith uh, can activate God's power, and we see that, in fact, throughout the Bible. And and so what I did this week was I I did a little study of the Bible and, and looked for everything I could find about what God says is possible if we have faith. So here we go. There are about 20 of these things that God says are possible if we have faith. Uh, Romans 5.1, if you have faith, you will have peace with God. If you have faith, you will be saved, Ephesians 2. If you have faith, you will not be afraid, Luke chapter 8. You don't have to write all these down because I'm going to email all these to you later on. So if you're scribbling, just relax and listen. Uh, so you will, you will not be afraid. Uh, God will remove his wrath from you and give you eternal life if you have faith. You will never die if you have faith. Uh, You might be healed if you have faith. You might gain wisdom from James if you have faith. You will never be put to shame, uh, Romans chapter 10. Christ will dwell in your hearts, Ephesians chapter 3. We will please God with our faith, Hebrews chapter 11. You will be filled with inexpressible joy, 1 Peter chapter 1. You'll never be hungry or thirsty, John chapter 6. You'll become a child of God, Galatians 3. You'll have living waters running through you, John chapter 7. You will overcome the world, 1 John 5. You could stop worrying, Philippians 4. God would make your path straight, Proverbs 3. Uh, You would trust God more, 2 Corinthians 1. You would do good works, James 2. God would supply your every need, Philippians 4. You would know that God works all things together for good, Romans 8. Anything would be possible for you, Mark chapter 9. I just think that is a phenomenal list of what God says is possible if we have faith in him. So what I'm going to do is email that list to you uh, this afternoon. And and, uh, if you have time this week, I think this is a very, very valuable study for you just to look at those passages and see all that is possible if we have faith, what God says is possible. It's truly uh, amazing to look at all all of those things. And so this ought to be a great encouragement to us that, that, that we have Uh, such power available to us. And God wants us to know that this power is available to us by faith. That is what God does. So imagine uh, living a life that that by faith, we're not afraid of anything. 
uh, Jesus said uh, that, that uh, I have come to set you free, right? It is the truth that sets you free. And, and so if you know the truth, the truth sets you free from, from fear, from worry, from all the things of this world uh, that get us into trouble. We would have inexpressible joy. We would trust God. We would know that we are children of God. Uh, what a life it would be to know uh, and to have that peace and, and never lose that peace because we have this faith. So back to Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus leaves this cloak behind, and I just love his response. He leaves the cloak behind, uh, and as Jesus says, go, your faith has healed you. And what does Bartimaeus do? He follows Jesus. Now, when Jesus said go, it's not like Bartimaeus was being disobedient. He was just saying to Bartimaeus, you know, you're not stuck on the side of the road anymore waiting for people to throw you a piece of bread or a coin or whatever. You're free to go. You can go and do whatever you want to do. And Bartimaeus, with a whole world of choices available to him, chose to stick with Jesus. And I think that is a phenomenal lesson that we learn from this passage. Now, you may say, all right, fine, uh, Bartimaeus left a cloak. Uh, that's, that's not a big deal. That's not a whole lot to leave. Uh, Bob Dylan said, when you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Uh, well, Bartimaeus perhaps didn't have a lot to lose, and maybe you and I have more to lose. Maybe we have jobs, maybe we have families, maybe we have homes and bills uh, that we have to pay. Uh, but the lesson isn't about how much you leave behind. That's not what we're talking about here. Uh, following Jesus is not about how much you leave behind. It's how you prioritize Jesus over the things you have. And that is what the lesson, lesson of this passage is in Bartimaeus leaving his cloak behind is. So there's nothing wrong with having lots of possessions. And there's nothing wrong uh, if you're a generous person uh, with having lots of stuff. Uh, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but, but God wants us to, to put Jesus first, right? And particularly in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of righteousness. Prioritize Jesus and his kingdom, and all these things will follow. And we will see amazing things done if we have faith like Bartimaeus had faith. So let's close with a couple of applications. And the first one is this. Uh, we need to pray with confidence. We need to pray with confidence. Bartimaeus came boldly to Jesus. He wasn't going to let anything get between him and his opportunity to meet Jesus who could answer his prayers. And so uh, faith is the key co uh, component in that healing because he got himself to Jesus by his faith. And the combination between God's power and our faith is a formidable combination. Uh, lots can happen if both of those things are present. And we see from that Hebrews chapter 11 passage that God loves to reward those uh, who have faith. So pray with confidence. And secondly, uh, follow Jesus with Bartimaeus's dedication. You know, there's no better place to be, there's no safer place to be than to be with Jesus. Jesus was going into the lion's den in Jerusalem, right? And he knew what was going to happen to him, even if Bartimaeus didn't. But Bartimaeus knew that, you know, come what may, he was going to stay by Jesus's side. And Bartimaeus didn't know what was going to happen to him in Jerusalem. And we don't know what's going to happen to us on the path of life. But there is no better place, no safer place for us to be than by Jesus' side. So we follow Jesus with that same dedication. And, you know, this experience we had in Chicago last week was, was truly wonderful. You know, to see how uh, the other half lives from time to time is a nice thing, right? Uh, but 
It only lasted for you know, two or three hours, and then we got kicked out of the 1914 club and sent on our way, and we became regular Joes again, right? And we probably would have been arrested if we tried to get back into the 1914 club. So it only lasts for a very short time. And it was wonderful, but it just doesn't last forever. But following Jesus is a totally different thing. Uh, we have access because of Jesus uh, to everything that God has. And, and it's an access that never goes away. We have it eternally, 24-7, because we believe that Jesus Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead, and we have chosen uh, to hitch our wagon to Jesus. We're not going anywhere. We are going to follow him wherever he leads. Uh, and so uh, he has taken our sin, and we get his righteousness. That's the best trade that we could ever make. It's better than a Cubs game. It's better than the 1914 club, and it lasts forever and ever. Amen? Lord God, we thank you uh, for the faith of Bartimaeus and how amazing it is to, to watch how a faith can change one man's life, Lord, and how faith has changed our lives, and we're just so grateful for it, Lord. We give you all honor and praise. And we pray that we would have the courage and the confidence to follow in faith as Bartimaeus did. Uh, Lord, help us to become better disciples. Uh, help us to follow you more closely. Um, Lord, the more we love you, uh, the more we will become like you. And I pray that we uh, learn these lessons and uh, make an impact for the kingdom uh, through our Lord Jesus Christ and through faith in him. We pray in Christ's precious name. Amen.